Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your presence. Well, Harry was a very wealthy retired banker who recently attended a retired banker's conference here in Annapolis. He showed up with his new bride, a stunning 20-something uh, model. One of his best friends went up to him and said, Harry, you're 70 years old. How in the world did you ever get such a beautiful young woman to marry you? Well, Harry, looking a bit sheepish, looked down and said, well, I lied about my age. And his friend said, what, did you tell her you were 50? And he says, well, no, actually, I told her I was 92. <laughs> well, I don't know exactly how Harry's marriage turned out, but it was pretty obvious that he and his new bride had widely different expectations. And it's essential when we enter into any kind of relationship that we have some sharing of expectations, some similar goals. It's essential that we do that, and above all, when we do enter into relationships with one another, when we make friends or whatever, it's most important that we keep God's will and his desires and his expectations first and foremost in our minds to make sure that our desires and expectations are aligned with him. Sometimes we're tempted to compromise in that regard, but when we do, it never ends well. There's an important lesson about this in 2 Chronicles. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. This happened about 850 BC. He was a good king. He had some worthwhile goals and expectations. He wanted peace with the surrounding area. He wanted peace with the northern kingdom of Israel. He wanted to do things that would unite or reunite the two kingdoms. Judah and Israel had split into two nations upon Solomon's death. <coughs> Joseph, uh, Jehoshaphat wanted to promote peace and goodwill between Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. But to fulfill these desires, he unfortunately was willing to compromise. And those compromises almost cost him his life everything that he had and would subsequently have a horrible negative impact on his kingdom. We'll read in 2 Chronicles 18, starting with verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him, and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go up with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he, Jehoshaphat, said to him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be one with you in the battle. Notice the, the order of events here. We'll get to verse 4 here in just a minute. But Jehoshaphat made a commitment based on Ahab's proposal. Jehoshaphat allied himself with Ahab. The two had widely different expectations. While Jehoshaphat did have some good and noble goals, Ahab wanted to promote his own wealth and power. As you may remember, this is the Ahab that married Jezebel. He was truly horrible king, a profane man that led uh, Israel into idolatry. Jehoshaphat had his son marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. 
a marriage that would lead Jehoshaphat's son astray and cause him to be a lousy king when he took over from his father Jehoshaphat. But in the course of this alliance with this wicked man, Jehoshaphat still kept God in mind, at least on the surface. Now in verse 3, we see that Jehoshaphat had made a commitment to go to war allied with Ahab. But in verse 4, Jehoshaphat comes a little bit to his senses and said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Notice Jehoshaphat made a commitment, agreed to this, this uh, uh, alliance with Ahab, and then he said, but by the way, let's check with God. Verse 5, then the king of Israel assembled the prophets 400 men and said to them, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for God will give it, give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, Imlah's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets, these are the false prophets, were prophesying before them. Jedekiah, the son of Janiah, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. Then the king said to him, How many times must I, adjure, must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now this is really interesting. Even though the prophet of God, Micaiah, said exactly what Ahab wanted to hear, Ahab knew that the words were false. And I think it shows that no matter how far we get away from God, deep down we still know and we can still discern what's true and what's not. Picking up in verse 16, he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good according, concerning me, but evil? Skipping down to verse 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth-Gilead. You might ask, Jehoshaphat was a good guy. Why didn't he listen to the prophet of God? He asked Ahab to go get the one remaining prophet of God to see if this was a good thing to do or not. 
Micaiah comes and say, no, this is a bad thing. And Jehoshaphat ignores it. I guess it shows us that when we've already made up our mind to do something, even if it's against God's will, it's really hard to change your mind, isn't it? The trick is not to start compromising in the first place. Well, the battle does not go well. Ahab is killed and Jehoshaphat escapes by the skin of his teeth only because God intervenes and saves him. The story continues in 2 Chronicles 19, starting with verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king of Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? The prophet says, Jehoshaphat, you have done a really stupid thing. But he continues in verse 3, But there is some good in you, for you have removed the Asheroth idols from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat had some worthwhile desires and expectations. In spite of his missteps, Jehoshaphat wanted to serve God, and he wanted to promote real, proper worship of the one true God. To accomplish this, he was willing to compromise and ally himself with someone who worshipped false gods and, in fact, hated the word of the Lord. In this instance, Jehoshaphat was willing to compromise. He thought what he was willing to give up was going to be worth the return of what he got. Perhaps he said to himself, well, I'll do this just once. If you ever catch yourself saying, I'll do this just once, Know for certain that you're heading in the wrong direction. If you ever catch those words or coming out of your mouth or thinking those words, just know that you're heading in the wrong way. Jehoshaphat relied on his own wisdom and not on God's wisdom and will. And we all do dumb things. But God protected Jehoshaphat, and there's a whole lesson right in that alone. Jehoshaphat goes off and does this stupid thing, but God is still with him, and when Jehoshaphat cries out because he's you know, in real danger, God rescues him. When he aligned himself with Ahab, he put himself and everything he valued at risk. By doing so, he became deaf to God's word. He refused to hear or couldn't hear God's prophet, God's word. He lost control. He surrendered control to Ahab and to Ahab's false prophets. And consequently, he almost lost everything. Today, we're faced with all sorts of choices. Often, it seems the choices we have are between bad and worse. And we often think that that's the only choice we have. And we often pick bad because bad is better than worse. Every time we do that, we are compromising we look at such decisions using our human wisdom and fail to rely on the wisdom of God for the right answer. And I believe we've seen that played out in our nation just in recent months, where people are picking bad over worse and not relying on God for what's good and better. We sell God short by not, not considering that he is in control. If we align ourselves with his will, we'll make better decisions and we'll get much better results. We don't need to compromise and we must not sacrifice control to ungodly forces in this world, the forces of evil. One of the hallmarks of the gospel as we, 
as we see it, as we read it, is whenever you read about Jesus, in every situation he's in, he's in total and absolute control. And it's fascinating some of the things that he does. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, he was in total control. Jesus turned Satan's words on him against Satan. Satan's arguments were totally ineffective. Jesus made it clear who he was, who God was, and that Satan had absolutely no power over him. There was no compromise. When Jesus was confronted with the woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't react as one might expect. He knelt down and wrote on the ground. And you might find that odd that he didn't get wrapped up in this big argument with those who expected a big argument. Instead, he was not intimidated by the crowd, but handled the situation totally on his own terms. No compromise at all. When Jesus was in the garden, he prayed that he be allowed to avoid the ordeal before him, but consciously made the decision. He was in control. He made this decision for himself that his father's will be done. It was his decision to submit. He was in control. No compromise. In John 19, Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate says, don't you know who I am? I've got the authority over you. Jesus answers that whatever authority Pilate has, it was given to him from above. Whatever control he thinks he exercises, it's only to, due to the fact that God gave it to him. From the one who is really in control, the Father. Since Jesus was totally aligned with the Father, submitting to the Father's will... It was Jesus who was in control, not Pilate. No compromise. But although we see Jesus is totally in control, in exercising this control, the first and most basic decision that Jesus made was to surrender his will to the Father. He surrendered his control to the Father. It was a conscious, deliberate decision. It's interesting and kind of a paradox that by doing this, by surrendering his will to that of the Father, the Father, in turn, put everything under Jesus, the Son's control. Very interesting. We read in Philippians 2, starting with verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that interesting? Jesus submits to the Father, surrenders his control. The Father gives Jesus back control of everything so that Jesus is highly exalted over everyone and everything. Well, Susan and I have a small 40-year-old uh, motorboat that we've been having a good time playing with. One of the things I like best about that is last year we started taking out the grandchildren and we go for rides in the little power boat. And I've enjoyed letting them drive. And they've all done a really great job. I mean, after all, my grandchildren, all of them are brilliant. Everybody knows that. Uh, Anna East in particular is nine. The others are six and seven. Uh, they do a great job. I tell them generally where we want to go. But I leave the steering to them, as they wish. I tell them uh, 
let's go in that direction, and they pretty much go in that direction. Now, that might sound somewhat dangerous because uh, get, you know, letting a six-year-old drive a powerboat uh, might sound a little you know, iffy, but recognize that I'm sitting next to them, and my hand is like a tenth of a second away from the steering wheel so that if they get into trouble, I'm there. I can immediately take control of the boat so that we're not in any danger. They're young, and I suspect they don't realize exactly what's going on and the role I'm playing in, in all of this. But I hope one day they'll understand how important it is to have someone to look out for them, to make sure that if they do get into trouble, there's somebody there that can take the wheel and take care of them. And I hope that one day they'll see their grandfather as someone that they can turn to and rely on when they do uh, get into trouble, when things do go wrong. And as they drive, one of my jobs is to let them drive, to watch them get into situations where they need to take action to avoid disaster and give them enough time to figure out what's going on, what they need to do, and give them enough time to take that action so that they can get themselves out of trouble because that's how we learn. Being on the verge of disaster is not something that Susan much likes, so she sits in the back and she's, I, can, I can feel her at times for turn the wheel, turn the wheel. But she also is good sport and she kind of keeps quiet. I've seen Anna East get into situations and watched her very deliberately think through what needs to happen, develop strategies for dealing with the problem, and then take reasonable action in a very logical and deliberate way. And I love it because she's growing, she's learning. She's learning not only how to manage the boat, but what's even more important by these lessons, she's learning how to manage life, to think through things. Of course, if they get into real trouble, I'm always there to help them take, to take control and to help them out of the situation. Now, Theo and Brady, they were both six at the time last year, they're both very adventuresome. I'll tell them to go in the general direction, but within that general direction, they both enjoy going to where they want to go. You know, they'll go from one side of the creek to the other. They'll go to check out a boat that's sitting over, uh, tied up to a dock. Or they'll go see some ducks. They'll do lots of things like that. Uh, occasionally, Theo will crank the wheel all the way one way and, uh, and just go around in circles, just for the fun of it. And frankly, I have to admit that sometimes I like going just round and round just for the fun of it. But when I'm driving, I, I look silly. When Theo's driving, I have a good excuse, so I enjoy that. I enjoy riding along with him. He's only six. But I think that's a fairly accurate description of how our relationship with God should be. He wants us to drive. He wants us to exercise discretion. He wants us to enjoy the ride. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to learn. He tells us to work out our own salvation with great care in Philippians 2.12. He wants us to be in control. He wants us to figure things out. He wants us to take responsibility. He also wants, to know, wants us to know that he is right there when we need him. He wants us to look to him for the general direction we need to go, and he wants us to check in with him frequently to make sure we're going in the right direction, to make sure that, we're, that our desires and our expectations are fully aligned with his will. When we get into trouble, he wants us to rely on him to help us rather than us stubbornly insisting that we want to do it our way. He wants us to learn and grow. 
He wants us to know that although we get to drive, that he's the one ultimately in control. He wants us to know that he's the captain. He wants us to know it's his boat that we're driving. It's only a loner. Well, Jehoshaphat knew this. He made mistakes, but deep down he knew what his relationship with God should be. There were times when he didn't listen to God to let God determine his direction. But even with those missteps, his reign over Judah was a good one. He has a good legacy. The kingdom of Judah under his leadership was prosperous and enjoyed peace during his reign. He was a good king, a good example for us. And I hope we've learned what Jehoshaphat knew without having to come to the brink of disaster like Jehoshaphat did. And I hope this week when we go out and we're driving, that we recognize that as we drive our lives, God is ultimately in control. He's right there. We need to check in with him. It's his life that we're driving. We need to rely on him. We need to make sure that our desires and our expectations are fully aligned with the captain. I don't know what people are facing today or this week or whatever, but in the relationships that we make and in the, in the interchanges that we have with others, let's make sure that we don't ally ourselves with evil. Let's not compromise. Job's not worth it. Paycheck's not worth it. Our life is not worth it. Let's make sure that our alignment is totally with God's will. If you need help in any of that, uh, in, in that regard, uh, or if there's anything else that we can do for you tonight, why don't you make your needs known as together we stand and sing.